Good morning. Um, as many of you will know, uh, we are in Luke's Gospel. Uh, we're in chapter 7. In fact, we're in right in the middle of chapter 7. And it's going to come up on the screen uh, if you need it. But if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, maybe you could turn to it now. Now, if you were here last week or you caught the podcast, you'll know that John the Baptist has just sent two of his disciples to check out Jesus. He sent the disciples because he's currently in prison and he sent them to find out for sure if Jesus really was the long promised saviour. And Jesus' answer was to send them back to report to John what they had seen and what they had heard. It wasn't a simple yes from Jesus. It was far more significant than that. It was take a look does what you see match up? And in the passage we're going to look at today, a similar question arises. Uh, The questioners are coming from a different place than John was, and they come to different conclusions as a result. And we're going to see how this might apply to us. So we're going to turn to uh, Luke 7, 24 to 35. We're going to read through the whole passage, and then I'm going to kind of focus in on the middle and work back. So Let's see what, uh, what's being said in Luke. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, I'm looking to send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. And when they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They're like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs, and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread and drinking wine. And you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Okay, I don't know if you knew this or you've considered it recently, but you have your own perspective on life. I have my own perspective on life. It's a, a worldview, a filter through which everything passes and everything is measured. In many cases, it's complex. It's built from a number of influences, beliefs, experiences, explicit decisions, maybe. And this view we have of life does influence and affect how we think and how we act. 
Let me give you a couple of examples. We've now lived in Birmingham 10 years, but there was a time when we were Birmingham newbies. We moved up from Brighton, bright-eyed, fresh-faced, and totally southerners. Alex grew up on the south coast, and Oxford was about as far north as I had ever ventured. But here we were in Birmingham, and we rented a house, and I can't help remember it had the brightest, pinkest decoration imaginable. And we set out getting used to our surroundings. A particular day I remembered was a Saturday, a few weeks after our moving in. Not far from the house, there was a parade of shops and there was a newsagents in the parade there. And not yet having kids, there was the faint possibility that I'd be able to sit for more than a few precious seconds and read the paper. So I ventured into the shop and seeing that the paper I wanted wasn't on display, I requested it. But to my confusion, the poor guy behind the counter just looked at me with a total blank. After an uncomfortable moment, he then asked me to repeat myself. In fact, he asked me to repeat myself three times. And all I wanted, (laughs) during this time, I was getting more and more cross while enunciating more and more clearly and thinking, who out of the two of us did this guy think had an accent? (laughs) And, And... I've no recollection what paper it was that I asked for, but I can only imagine that my bright and lack of pronouncing the letter T meant that I dropped the letter T from the Times or the Telegraph, because we really weren't communicating. My view of which of us had an accent was filtered through my previous surroundings that I had been immersed in. Now, my perspective was wrong. Uh, We both had an accent. And although my perspective has now changed... Uh, I'm still getting it wrong. So we recently had some friends come up from Brighton and they were leaving and saying how nice it was to see us and how nice it was to see the boys and how cute their accents were. And you know my initial reaction? They don't have an accent, which of course they do. (laughs) And uh, you know, another thing, we, uh, before moving um, up to Birmingham, we definitely had this southern thing of thinking everything closer to the North Pole than Watford uh, should be considered the North. This is just how it goes. And uh, you know what's amazing? We now live in the Midlands and the North has moved. It's great. In my mind, it's only 50 miles away from here still. Uh, but God is working on my perspective. <laughs> and... Children, especially young children, have a particular perspective through which they view life. Firstly, there are those things that can't help make you smile. If you've been around children for any time at all, there'll there'll be two things you've noticed. These things that can't help but make you smile. That amazing and beautiful trust that a young child puts in their parents. The unquestioning trust to kind of provide their needs and to love and to nurture. There's a a sense of total dependence there, and that's, I guess, why parenting is such a responsibility. And it's beautiful to see. And then you'll have noticed this other thing. There are times when the child decides that the parent hasn't met one of their needs or is infringing one of their rights, like the right to play as long as they like with whatever their toy they like, whoever it belongs to, and whoever was already playing with it, or the right to decide against travelling in the pushchair, or in fact travelling anywhere and just sitting down and screaming. And it's that moment when the child decides 
it's my way or it's no way. And it all kicks off, and for every parent watching, there's an empathy for the battle of wills that is about to take place. And in the first, we recognize this childlikeness that the Bible speaks of as how we should come before God, this total faith and trust and dependence. And in the second, we see a childishness that comes because our perspective, or rather the perspective of young children, is that the whole world revolves around them, or rather the whole world should revolve around them. And actually when something happens or is asked of them that doesn't conform to their view, well, they reject it. And right in the middle of this passage, this is what's going on. Jesus is referring to the generation as children, calling out to one another as they play. But it's not a kind of beautiful childlikeness that God loves and is commendable in his sight. It's a childishness that he's speaking out against. The calling out in the market square that Jesus is speaking of is a, you didn't do things our way, so we're not taking part. Because it's our way or it's no way. And Jesus is saying to the gathered crowd, this is what you are like. You're like children, but not in a good way. You think that life revolves around you and you've set up in your minds how you think things should look, your perspective, and it's dictating what's okay and what's not okay. And that is childish. You have a childish perspective. See, what you're doing, he's saying, is complaining that neither John nor I conform to the way you considered we should be. When John came with the message of repentance, you rejected it because it didn't fit. You categorized him as demonized and you therefore justified your rejection of him. He's saying, when I came, I ate and drank and I hung out with tax collectors and other undesirables. Tax collectors get more prominence than maybe you would expect in this passage. But if you like, it's the other end of the spectrum from John. You still rejected me, he's saying. I didn't fit either. You labeled me a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. He's saying you wanted both John and me, Jesus, to meet you on your terms. And when we came in a way you didn't expect and didn't match up with your narrow view of the world, you said, no way, that's not our way. I don't know if you've ever had a view on how things should be done, ever made a decision to either accept or reject something. I guess yes, all the time. I've got a view on how things should be done, and just so you know, my view on that is I'm always right in my view. I don't know if that's your view. Uh, All the time we're making decisions and accepting or rejecting people, ideas, concepts, practices. And so the question for us, the question for our generation is, are we like the generation Jesus was speaking to? This generation for whom Jesus and John didn't quite fit. The generation for whom John was just too restrictive in his ascetic lifestyle and for whom Jesus was way too lax and way too unboundaried. Okay, I want you to think 
of a radio dial. It's going to come up behind you. You can see this. Um, I know radio dials don't look like this anymore, so I apologize to those of you who always thought that a version of the iPod has existed. Uh, it hasn't. But um, picture an old-fashioned radio frequency dial. And up this end, okay, are rules and restrictions. And down this end are, boundary, uh, are, are no rules and no boundaries. And I think this is often how we view things. Somewhere on this spectrum are the people of Jesus' generation that he's speaking to. And somewhere on this spectrum, I think we place ourselves too. And there's kind of a little bit of bandwidth, but not that much. And we've defined on the scale what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I think what's happened is we position ourselves in one of two general areas on this spectrum. Some of us are up this end. You know, we say rules are important. It's godly to live by a set of rules. Out this way, the kind of anything-goes culture is just wrong, and we see the need for structure and definition and framework to live by. And these rules, they serve us well. We know where we stand with them, and they bring boundary and protection. But you know what's often the case if you've positioned yourself up this end? You've got rules. I've got rules, for sure. But there are a whole load of rules that God doesn't have. We just made them up. Or maybe they never started out as rules, just good practices and discipline And now, in reality, they're rules. And honestly, I think I often find myself here. And I think lots of us do. We place rules on ourselves that God hasn't placed on us. And we place rules on others that God hasn't placed on them. And what happens surprisingly quickly, I don't know if you've noticed this, that we start living to please the rules and not to please Jesus. It's just what the religious leaders of Jesus' time were doing, living to please the rules. They thought the way to please God uh, was the rules, and this, way, this was their way to look good before him. And what they'd done is they'd kind of placed rules in between them and God, seemingly the more, the better. And I guess the news is this, that rules don't get pleased, and they aren't the way to please God. The other thing that can happen when we position ourselves up this end in the area of kind of rules and restrictions and regulations is that we're so rules orientated that we place rules and limitations on God. So when God speaks or God moves outside of our generous rule set, he does something that places us somewhere that doesn't match with how or what we think he should do or shouldn't do, well, then we miss him. Worse, we moan uh, or complain that he isn't conforming to our view of him. And that's just what Jesus is saying in this passage to the generation that he's speaking to. I don't know, maybe uh, it's work. Maybe uh, these are the rules uh, that we live with, often reinforced by those around us that say, well, promotion is good. Uh, more money is good. The company car, that's very good. And God is saying, well, hang on a minute. 
I want to take you uh, a different route. Right now, in this moment, it's your family you need to focus on, or I've got a move for you. It's seemingly sideways, but it's in my plan, or just wait for me. I'll bring you contentment where you are. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe your outlook is, you know what, I am really happy where I am. There's kind of no need to rock the boat. Uh, Who needs the hassle of more responsibility? But God is saying, actually, I've got more influence for you. I've got more responsibility I want to give you. I've got more I want to give you. And I'm going to teach you how to use it. And if we're up here, sometimes it's hard to kind of break out of our view of how life should be and see that God is doing something different. I don't know, maybe it's here uh, in the church and your view uh, of how things should be done in a particular way, maybe the music or the teaching or how we worship or maybe what should or shouldn't change and, and how much. And I guess, let's be real, we all have a view on these things. Well, maybe it doesn't work for you and maybe you're tempted to reject it because it doesn't fit with what you want. Now, someone in the church here recently told me, and I'm sure would tell you, that the first time they came, they really didn't like the music. It was too loud, and they didn't know the songs, and there were electric guitars, and they still don't really like it that much. And they know some of the songs, it's still too loud, and there are still unnecessary instruments. But (laughs) they meet with God when they're here, and they love that. And so there is nowhere they would rather be. And that really humbled me because I really hope that I would have the same attitude. The attitude that looks through the superficial, that we often count so highly, and actually look to what God is doing. I don't know, maybe it's where you live or where your children go to school or how you think, who you think your friends should be. It might be that you don't have work or it's your health or your finances or your relationships. It might be that actually you're in a place of real pain and real suffering right now and that doesn't really fit. What is going on? I guess there's a danger of kind of coming before God and complaining and moaning and of even rejecting him because let's face it, suffering and pain isn't in most of our views of how life should be. But where God hasn't promised a life without pain and suffering, he very much has promised that he will be with us. He goes with us and he will never leave us. That is God's perspective. But not all of us, I guess, are up here and not all of the time. Some of us are down here. Some of us live down this end, at this other end, this end that has nothing to do with rules. Maybe uh, you've been subject to overbearing rules much of your life and now you just want nothing to do with them. Maybe you've seen through the hypocrisy of others' rules. Or might be that you just don't want to be told what to do. You don't even want to be confined by your own rules. You kind of just want to decide as you go along. A year or so ago, having thought about it quite clearly 
and very much considered it, my youngest son, Timothy, said to me, Dad, when I'm a dad, I'm going to get Sky TV for my children, and they're going to be able to watch it as much as they like. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he was very considered in it as well. He loves football, and he can't watch enough of it. And in his mind, the limitations we place on his viewing are just bad parenting. And left to his own devices, he would watch as much football as he could, and he would play as much football as he could on the PlayStation. And in between, yes, he'd probably mix it up with a few cartoons. Um, But as a parent, I know that while Sky TV isn't wrong, and I'm sure it's coming our way at some point, though please don't tell Timothy that. Okay, it's not good for him to always watch TV. He needs to play football. He needs to interact with other people. He needs to use his imagination and construct and design and not just have images fed to him the whole time. Most kids uh, I know uh, love sweets and chocolate and fizzy drinks. In fact, I love all those things too. And uh, they would eat as much and drink as much of them as possible. But as a parent, I know what my children don't have the wisdom or the knowledge to understand. That a boundary on how many sweets or how much fizzy drink they consume is protecting them from rotten teeth and living off sugar highs. You know, one day they will thank me and they will see the wisdom in it and they'll probably still think they should have had Sky TV. Um, But it's just childish to reject the boundaries that our loving parents put in place for our good. It's also childish to expect our parents to play by our own self-focused rules. So what is it, if you're down here, that you're rejecting because you just don't see the wisdom in it or the need for it? What are you rallying against because you don't wish to be confined or restricted by what you see as other people's rules imposed on you? Now, our Heavenly Father has set boundaries for us in his wisdom because while we think we have the knowledge and the wisdom to decide what's best for us, we don't. And our rejection of God's boundaries for our good, they harm us and they harm others. And when it leads to sin, they hurt God. Now, childish children need to grow up so they're no longer childish. And so what is the alternative then to wherever we might find ourselves in this spectrum? Is it to move uh, a little more to the center uh, from this side or or maybe from this side? Is it to kind of increase our bandwidth? Well, no, because actually this way of filtering life, it still centers on you, what you think is right and what you think is wrong, what you are happy to accept and what you want to reject. And Jesus is saying is that way is childish. It's the way that says it's my way or it's no way. And actually, it's God's way. That's the way. And there were two groups of people in the crowd that Jesus was addressing. There were the Pharisees, there were the religious leaders who first rejected John and rejected Jesus. 
And then there were the tax collectors. There were the others who, verse 28 says, agreed God's way was right. They had been baptized by John. And far from rejecting him, these guys looked through the outer trappings. You know, they got past the camel hair clothes and the locusts and the honey and the trek out into the wilderness because they saw a man from God with a message from God. Verse 26 says this, were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And Jesus says, more than a prophet. He was God's messenger preparing the way for Jesus. So those of you who listened to the messenger, who got the message, I really want you to know something Jesus is saying. And here is the the good bit. I want you to know that no one who has ever lived is greater than John. Well, why is that? Well, because he was on God's given mission to announce the coming of Jesus. He was the climax, the pinnacle of this era of the promise of Jesus. But, and here is something that might not fit with your perspective on how God does things. But even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is, greater than John. That doesn't mean, by the way, that John won't be in the future kingdom. We know from later passages he will. But it means that if you're following Jesus, if you've turned away from your sin in your life and you're going God's way, if you're in the kingdom, then you're greater than John the Baptist, who Jesus considered the greatest man to have ever lived up until that point. And in case you're not sure of the roll call, that's greater than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and David and Joseph and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and everyone else before John. And John wants his audience to know this. He wants us to know this. How are we greater? Well, you're living in a time following Jesus when God has chosen to put his spirit in you. The spirit of the living God is in you. You have access and a closeness to God that the prophets and those who lived before the time of Pentecost had only ever looked on in wonder at. I want us to listen to what the apostle Peter writes to the early Christians and is also to us. 1 Peter 1, 8 to 12. He says this, You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Would you say this morning, yes, I know God. I'm in the kingdom of God. Well, then know this. You are great in God's kingdom. God has chosen to place his Holy Spirit in you. So don't get caught out and reject what's from God because at first glance, it doesn't fit your perspective on how things should be. Don't try and fit God into your parameters. Take a look at your parameters. I know sometimes that might be hard. It might take you outside of what's comfortable. It might well involve trust and faith and going against the prevailing direction of the generation. Though it's actually an effort and a decision, and often it's easier to measure something up against a kind of known set of parameters than it is to stop and to seek God and to ask him and to evaluate against what you know of him and his word in the Bible. Though it might take all of those things, go God's way every time. And it might be that you're here this morning and you wouldn't say you are a Christian. Well, I guess I, guess I want to challenge you to look at your perspective. This is Jesus' message to you. He is the way. And while you are incredibly important to him, so important that he died in your place, if you'll accept it, actually you're not it. You're not where it's all at. He is. And he wants his best for you.